You're in or you're out. Welcome to the ins and outs of selling a business featuring Keith D., a presentation of Osage Advisors. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the ins and outs of selling a business. My name is David Yaz from the Boston Podcast Network, and here alongside me, as usual, is Keith D., the founder and president of Osage Advisors. Keith, how are you? I'm doing great, Dave. How are you doing today? Not too bad. As we record this, it's shortly after Thanksgiving. I trust you had a safe, happy, and hopefully fruitful Thanksgiving. Yeah, so Thanksgiving was this year, as many people, low-key, just immediate family, but it was uh, nice to see be home with the, my wife and the kids, and uh, everybody's healthy, everybody's safe, and we're all hunkered down. How about yourself? Yeah, pretty good. Small gathering, of course, small family, and then we did a family Zoom Thanksgiving with the extended family, so that's the best we can do these days, virtual turkey. So thanks for joining me again today, and we've been getting great feedback on this series of podcasts as we work through, as the the title suggests, the ins and outs of selling a business. And today, we're going to talk about how business, potential sellers of businesses, value what their business is worth. And I know this is one of the chief duties that you do when you, when you work with your clients to to facilitate the sale of, of their business. So let's start from the beginning. When someone comes to you and wants to know how they go about the process of valuing that business so they can eventually set a, a sale price, what are the first things you, you tend to talk to them about? Well, the first first off, it's we talk to them about what, what are their expectations. Usually business owners have a, a number in mind that's going to work for them. But, you know, the, the simple answer is what's my business worth is what a willing buyer is willing to pay and what a willing seller is willing to accept. But there's a number of factors in between those, between the two parties that need to be resolved and, and agreed to regarding evaluation during a process. And the things we first do, which is very important to us before we even sign up a client, is, is, is talk value. Is, is 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 look at their financial statements, look at their trends from a sales perspective, revenues, the margin perspective, the profitability, look at what industries they serve, look at the structure of their sales organization, who owns that customer relationship, how do they account for things? I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And we have these ongoing conversations with a prospective client before we take them on to talk about value. And and from that perspective, and then if we agree or come to a reasonable agreement on value based on what we perceive the current market is looking at from a value of, of a company in a specific industry based on sales and profitability, then we move forward. So I think the first thing is is that when a, when, a, when, a, when a client comes to us and says, I think my company's worth X, mm-hmm. and I we say, well, how did you come up with that number? Right. And there's a couple ways they come up with that. Number one is that's a number they feel they need post-sale the business to live off. Which, so does, families, which, you know, which doesn't necessarily reflect the actual value of that business, I take it. That's correct. Yeah. It, 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 and the other thing, and, and so we, when they ask that question, we always ask to them, have you sat down with your financial advisor, your wealth management person, and kind of 
done some what if scenarios to see what the true value is. I mean, we had a situation a few years ago where the client thought he needed like $20 million. And that's what he wanted for his company. But, you know, the market for that company was, you know, probably between 10 and 12 currently. If he wanted to work and grow business and get it, he probably could have got it to 20 million. But he, you know, he's kind of at the end of his uh, working career and wanted to move on. So he said, well, did you, have you sat down with somebody and kind of really stretched this out and looked at what if scenarios based on X, Y, and Z returns on your money? And the bottom line was that he was overstating what he really needed mm. significantly. And so the value was really in line with the market. And he got comfortable and his advisor, uh, she was able to show him various scenarios for, her, for him and his family and they moved forward. So that is one area. Another area is that and we get this a lot is my buddy sold his company for 15 million or 20 million <laughs> or 30 million. Right. And so my company must be worth the same. Well, there's a lot of if what's about that. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, what kind of what kind of business did your buddy have? I mean, he could have been a software company with a lot of IP and in a market that's very hot versus you may be a manufacturing company that sells medical parts and aerospace parts in the industry with a, at a lower margin. So you can't look, it's, it's, it's kind of apples and oranges versus apples to apples. So we're very open and honest and transparent on how we come, how we look at this number, understanding what our clients are looking for, and then kind of drilling down deep into that conversation with them about value, about market value in current climate. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of people want the the quick and easy answer, which I realize they can't always get. There is, I've, I've heard talk of certain formulas you can use. And if you use the, the, the profit that you have from your company, the, the annual EBITDA number and multiply it by something, are, are, are there rules of thumb like that or, or is it not that simple? Yeah. So, well, from the financial terms, EBITDA is really adjusted profits. You take your operating profit and do some add backs for company expenses aren't going to be continuing on post-closing. And most businesses are valued based on an EBITDA, a multiple of that. So for example, if you have a company doing adjusted profits of a million dollars in an industry, you've got reasonable growth rates, your margins are good, profitability has been consistent over the years, that would likely trade between, say, a five and a seven multiple, right? Just world thumb. Could be a four and seven, five or seven multiple. So the company's worth initially between maybe five and seven million dollars. And as your profit goes up, your adjusted profits go up, those multiples go up mm-hmm. for various reasons. One is you're throwing off more cash flows. And as you get high, and two is they become more bankable. So the buyer can uh, leverage the purchase price to internally to, to pay a higher multiple. So that's one area. Another area is you know, just a pure asset value of the company. You're sitting there with significant assets on the books. Uh, a lot of it could be IP loaded, bio, biomedical, pharmaceutical, has a lot of IP involved. And those, those patents, mm-hmm. for example, the trademarks, the patents, et cetera, customers are worth a lot, a lot of money. And people are willing to pay that because they see those patents have a, have a value long-term that could be extensively higher than you're earning in profit right now. So that's, an, that's one area you can look at. Are there, are there uh, formulas for determining the value of a, a patent? Well, typically, when we get in companies, we have a high content of intellectual property. We highly recommend it to go out and get evaluation. 
on those patents. But hi, there's there's several good valuation firms out there that do industry specific that can provide a valuation of those patents. And that's kind of like a benchmark you can use in negotiation and gives you kind of a feel for what the, the current value is those in, in, in the marketplace. But another one is multiple revenues. People say like my company's worth one times revenue, right? Or two times or three times or four times, depending on the industry. For And the revenue multiple is more specific to uh, companies have a uh, reoccurring revenue, a subscription model, a software company that sells subscriptions, ongoing reoccurring revenues that they t- typically trade off three to six multiple of the revenue. Mm-hmm. Some companies internally use what they call a look at the current cash flows, discounted cash flow basis. It's a little more complicated from the typical you know, to look at, but basically it's taking a future value, uh, a future stream of cash flow and putting a discount on it and say it's, that future stream is worth X today. So, you know, there's different ways of value, but the, the, the really rule of thumb is a multiple of your adjusted profits or EBITDA. So, in fact, I would say 95% of the deals that we work on are, or we end up selling for our clients are some kind of multiple of EBITDA. How about when it comes to the actual, when you, you mentioned assets, I mean, I, I you mentioned patents as one, but there are obviously going to be other companies that have things like machinery and actual tangible assets and goods. For some people looking to sell, I wonder that must be, could be a, a daunting task to think about valuing simply everything that's in the warehouse or the office or whatever. How do you go about that? Do, does uh, uh, an appraiser always need to be hired or does the client just need to really do their homework or how does it go? Well, it's interesting. Most of our clients, they kind of have a feel for the value of their equipment. Mm-hmm. Because they're constantly, especially in manufacturer, constantly looking for used equipment. They're look, they're on the various websites that that sell the equipment. So they see they see what the kind of stuff whether it's trending it. So they have a feel for it. We do suggest if if they haven't used a bank loan in a while, or maybe they just have a line of credit. They don't really have a, a long term term loan, so they haven't really valued equipment in a long time. It may be of interest to, to important to get a value of equipment, especially if they have several million dollars of equipment. They want to kind of understand the worth of that. So. You bring in an appraiser, you get a current value, and unless you have that number in your head, you kind of know where it's at. So if someone looks at asset value, so you're looking at inventories, you're looking at accounts receivable, you're looking at equipment, you're looking at intangibles like we talked about, and that's kind of like, okay, what, are the, what is all that worth to me? So you could have a company that's struggling on the profitability perspective, but they're very asset heavy. So the asset value may exceed the multiple value of the business. So you got to look at all those factors when you're talking to, when you're looking at to, what's my company worth. Mm. And How about the, you mentioned the personnel and I take it the, the value of a company sometimes lies in the very people that make up the company. And, and you and I have talked about this on prior episodes, but there's always the specter of what's going to happen to those people after the company is sold. Will they, will they stay on or whatnot? But when it comes to valuing talent like that, how do you go about those conversations with your clients? So the buyer's always putting a kind of, they're always kind of gauging risk when looking at how am I going to value this transaction from, from their perspective. So the question or questions that repeatedly are asked is, who owns the customer relationship and who are your customers and how much do you sell to your customers? For example, if you have an owner that basically doesn't do a lot of outbound 
sales. The businesses kind of always come to him or her over the years. Hey, let's because he has he knows the purchasing people at his customers. They know him, the engineering people, and they call him. So if he's where's Joe? I need to talk to Joe. Mm. Joe's the owner, right? Or or Jane, whoever. And what happens if Joe or Jane leaves? Or are they going to stick with you? Is that company going to continue to work with you? Or are they going to look out maybe to uh, find a diff- different avenue? So that's the extreme case. If you have a organized sales function with the head of sales, been with you for several years, a couple of people in the customer service section of your business, inside sales, whatever you want to call it, that support your customers, that gives higher comfort level to a potential buyer that when you walk away, that, that relationship is still there. So if you're thinking about selling a company and you are the key contact for every order or every call that comes in to buy something that wants to place an order, then you need to think about how am I going to transition that? How am I going to, how am I going to build up a sales team to reduce that risk factor that a buyer may have from that perspective? Because that question is answered and asked, excuse me, asked and answered multiple times. And then to compound that, if you're an organization where you have heavy weighted on a couple customers, for example, they call it customer concentration. So you you do $10 million a year, but one customer represents 60% of your business. That's going to get people from the buy side who are buyers of the company it's going to kind of get there and they need, they're going to want to really drill down on that relationship because it's going to affect what they're going to pay mm-hmm. and for the business. And if you, and if you own that relationship and you've been the person to talking to for all these years and that they represent 60% of business and you walk out the door, that's your business, right? Mm-hmm. So from a selling standpoint, what's my, what is it worth to me? What is my company worth is all related to that, that relationship. So the more you can bring in a team, the more you can expand, the more you can de- delegate responsibilities, transition as the responsibilities. I mean, for example, we have a company in market right now, and they have a they have customer concentration. And the owner, a really smart guy, and he knew this was going to happen. He thought about it six, seven years ago. I need to do something now. And so he brought in a very highly talented person to be his right-hand person and train him and, and, and basically hand off over time that responsibility. So here we are today and the question has been asked, we do a Q and a doc and we talked about in the past, who owns the customer responsibility or relationship? And the answer is the owner doesn't own it anymore. Mm. They call him, they call, they call Jim, they call Joe, they call Jane, they call whoever. So, that is has satisfied a concern from a buyer pool that's going to affect what's my company worth, mm-hmm. right? But he thought he he saw that foresight six seven years ago that he needed to do this, otherwise it's going to affect what he can take off the table, or he'll never be able to leave the business. He's going to have to work there. The sales going to be contingent on continuing that relationship, and he's going to be responsible for the relationship. So he's going to work himself out, work work his way out of the business over time, which something you don't want to do. He's got three grandkids. He wants to go spend time with them. Mm-hmm. He's got a place down South, you name it. So he wanted to separate himself and he, and he was able to do that. 
that is an aspect, a very small one aspect of how you what's my company worth because if you give you $20 million or $30 million in business, but you do 20 million, one customer, the buyer's going to really want to know, make sure that there's going to be a way that that customer, obviously that, that the, the customer is going to stay with them and grow with them. So Keith, tell me some of the other aspects of valuing a business that a potential seller might not have at top of mind and things that you details that you need to go through with them that they might not initially be aware of. How you, how your revenue is derived. Okay. And what I mean by that, and this comes a lot in the service sector is that if you are doing, if you work and you have uh, you, you consider it repeat business, right? But it's project-based meaning that it's a project by project by project type of thing. So you say, okay, it's a repeat customer. I've been dealing with it for years. They give me a contract. I sign it. They, we, we sign it. We do the work. We get another contract. We sign it. We do the work. Buyers look at project-based work at one value because it's not continual. Versus, say, you are your repeat business is really reoccurring revenue. You have a three-year, four-year contract for providing a subscription, a service, software service, or some kind of service that they are tied into. So no matter what you do, we're going to get $3 million a year for the next, for, for this year, for next year, for the next three years, long-term contract for a variety of services. You're ongoing, your people are in there, you're doing the work. So it's almost like a subscription reoccurring revenue. That's valued differently than a project. And then, so in fact, people pay more if you have a re- reoccurring revenue line through its long-term agreements than they would for a project-by-project basis. Mm-hmm. Because projects, the 60-day project, eight-month project, two-month project, 10-day, whatever the project is, it ends. These are longer-term and they have higher values. So if you are, let's say, I, you know, a great area would be uh, IT consulting, right? The word of MSP, managed service provider. So you're managing their services. Their IT services are being managed by you. You house... You could be housing, hosting, housing their computer systems, managing their housing, providing ongoing support for the personnel. And it's these long-term, you're basically outsourced to you and you guys are handling that. That has a lot more value than a company that has a project to go in and you know convert my accounting system or my ERP system from uh, X to Y because it's got a limited timeline and you're doing a project. So they value them differently. Mm-hmm. And so if you are looking at your business model and you can convert some of that business to more like long-term subscription type reoccurring basis versus project basis, you'll, you'll increase the value of your business. So owners don't look at it that way. So I, if I have a company that's, for example, if I have a company that's subscription-based, ongoing service, they're both doing two million EBITDA, right? The company that's project-based will not be valued as the same company that's doing the reoccurring base. Right. The reoccurring long-term agreement subscription base is going to get higher multiple. This is the way the people, that's how the buyers are valuing. And so if you can convert that revenue stream from a project to service base, there's, there's value, but they don't see that initially. Other things that I think are really is, is how you can define as much detail as possible, your profitability not as a whole, because they see that, but by product line. If you have three or four different product lines or five or six product lines, some may not be profitable, some may be more profitable. If you, if you don't have a handle 
on our comfort level as to, yeah, well, look, I'm overall doing 35% margin. I'm above the, I'm happy. But you could be doing 50% margin in one area and 10% margin in the other area, right? So if you don't have a handle on that or can show details of what makes that up to a buyer, then they're going to, they're not going to, they're going to look at the deal and say, okay, well, we're going to pay maybe a little less because we're not so sure about that. They're skeptical about what's the profitability. And it even gets down to specific profitability by, by components, by SKUs, by line items. Mm-hmm. So the more detail you can provide on the profitability, because you may have a whole line of products or SKUs you do that are not profitable, but you keep on doing them and doing them and you're doing them for years. And you never raise your prices on those, but you have other profits. They're very profitable. So the question is, do you keep that 20% of products that are non-profitable? Or do you say to your, go back to your customers, hey, look, I got to either raise my prices on these items, right? Or you need to take them somewhere else. Or I'll help you find another vendor, but we can't make money on them, so we can't do them anymore, right? So those type of details are, are very top of mind from a buyer perspective. When you're saying, what's my company worth? And you're like, I'm making 35% margins, but the fact is, some of my, some of my products, I'm, I'm using my machinery, I got people, I got this, everybody's making it, but they're not, I should be making a higher profit, right? So those are the type of things that you think you got to really think about from perspective. And, and other things is how your management team, you know, in place, and we, we touched briefly on it earlier, but do you have the people in place? For example, you're running a very profitable business. You're making, I don't know, 5 million EBITDA, right? Mm-hmm. But you have no sales guy or you have no controller or CFO. You've been, my accountant's hand been handling it for 20 years and he's doing a great job. And yeah, I don't need a salesperson because the business just comes our way. So a buyer's not going to look at it that way, mm. right? They're going to say, there's holes in your business that we need to fill. And that costs money. Right. Right. So they're going to look at that and they're going to say, okay, I need to bring in a, a CFO for X amount of dollars. I need to bring in a, a salesperson for X amount of dollars. So even though you're showing 5 million EBITDA, when I net it out, I'm only going to pay based on, say, 4.5 million EBITDA. Right. And then you look at when's a, what's your cap capital equipment? This is more manufacturing, but what's your been invest, what's been your reinvestment in the business over the years? And a piece of equipment that is 20 years old still still works great but it doesn't but it it doesn't from a buyer perspective they look at that that's got to be replaced mm-hmm. right in the week we're not we're not meeting all our capabilities we're not we can be more profitable with new equipment so they may come in and say okay i need to put two million dollars of capital equipment into this business so they're going to kind of discount that off of uh of what they're willing to pay i'm willing to pay x less the capex because I got to reinvest two million, three million dollars of equipment. So if you're if you're if you haven't reinvested in equipment, if you don't have a if you don't have a let's say a, a management team that's that is let's say I want to say robust, but it's been consistent over years. And different functions are handled by different. You have somebody handling sales. You have someone handling the financials. You have somebody handling the manufacturing floor. You have somebody doing your engineering, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You have people. They've been with you for a number of years that have, have, have kind of these functions. So when you walk away or if you leave or you go away for six months, the business runs. Mm. 
That's the key thing. I mean, but what happens when you're not there? That's a question people ask all the time. What happens if you're not here? And you can help clients determine how much something like that might discount the amount of the, the, the value of the company that they might have had in mind in the first place. Yeah. So we, again, we, we look at their financials, right? And then when we get into it, deep into it, we, we, we have the financials as reported and we have the adjusted financials. And those were add backs for various business, but also we could have deductions from that. So for example, I need to re- I need to add a CFO. I need to add a salesperson. You're going to be leaving, and your your salary's five hundred thousand. But I got to add a salesperson for one twenty. I got to add a controller for a hundred. Whatever, I'm just making numbers up right now. Yep. But so you you would discount off that. So even though the ad backs may be a million dollars, you may offset them with three four hundred thousand dollars of additional costs that the business may need moving forward. Try to reduce the surprises. Again, we want to make sure that. We, we, we get very detailed prior to taking an engagement on. So owners are comfortable that, yeah, this is where we're at. We've asked the right questions. They've asked us many questions that we try to give fully transparent answers to as to what to expect from a buyer community when they get down to making offers for mm-hmm. your business, bidding on your company. Well, it's a lot to think about. And as usual, I take it, Keith, that you recommend as an early step to get in touch with you because these are the the very things that you work through with clients, I take it. So we are up against the clock here on this episode, but anything we've left out, Keith? No, I mean, look, I think the the key thing is, is to have that discussion, open discussion and get comfortable with it. Mm. And if you and feel that getting comfortable with that, the value of the business is the first step, right? So that you can move forward. And there's a lot of players involved in helping you get there and Osage advisors and our process is one of them. Why don't you uh, remind our listeners how they can, what the best way is to get in touch with you and learn more about your business. So, so they can call this Keith D. Osage Advisors. You can, you can, you can reach me at uh, 860-767-3273 extension 1001 or visit our website at osage osage advisors.com and there's uh, contact information on the website as well thanks so much make sure to check out the entire library of this podcast on apple podcasts or wherever you find your podcast please subscribe so you get notifications on the latest episodes and thanks so much for listening we'll see you on the next episode of the ins and outs of selling a business